readings for the sermon tonight are from Ecclesiastes and James in the Old and the New Testament. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 18. This is God's word. Let's give heed to it. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task God has given to the sons of man, by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness, and I have gained more wisdom than all who went before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And then if you turn to the New Testament, to the book of James, also verses 1 through 18. James says here, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, 
For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Praise God. Pastor Patterson. Good evening, everybody. Welcome, and uh, thank you for having me this evening. The, our, our text is actually the Ecclesiastes passage, um, and so if you want to turn back there in your copies of the Scriptures, um, I'll be referring to that tonight. We're going to look at the whole chapter, and... Before we do it, why don't I just lead us in a quick word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word uh, that's living and active and that's sharper than any two-edged sword, Father. We pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts and our minds tonight uh, the truth that is found there. Lord, for the praise of your glorious grace. Father, we pray all these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is short, and then you die. Um, I heard those words when I was little come out of the mouth of one of the most godly people I ever knew uh, growing up. Um, At the time, I remember thinking, wow, that's really depressing. Um, That's really cynical. Um, That's kind of scary. That's sad, but that's kind of true. Where did this person who I looked up to get this sort of outlook on life? Probably the book of Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Look at how this book starts after an introduction telling us that this is either Solomon or Solomon taking or someone taking up the voice of Solomon. Um, I, I 
I tend to think it's Solomon, uh, but we can debate over that later. Um, But the book starts out with this happy ray of sunshine. Meaningless, meaningless, or vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. All is vanity. Now, can you imagine a coach at halftime giving that pep talk? Can you imagine hearing your surgeon speaking those words before you went under the knife? The word is pretty complex, but it means something like this, meaningless. It's the word often used in the Bible to describe a mist, uh, a vapor, something that's very light and intangible and fleeting. It, it, it doesn't last. This life, the preacher says, is like a breath. Now, if you're a pessimist, right, you're thinking, finally, somebody who understands me. <laughs> and if you're an optimist, you're saying, well, yeah, there are parts of life that are meaningless or, or trite or fleeting, but, but not all. But look at what the author says. Vanity, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. By the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, we'll just say it's Solomon, will use this word 38 times. Look at uh, verse 2. I'm I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's a pretty sweeping statement. He will go on to say, What does man, humanity, gain by all the toil at which he toils? And here comes the important phrase, under the sun. In other words, as you you look at this life that we live in, and you use all of your senses, right, to, to take in what's going on around you, to judge what happens here. And the writer, by the way, tells us that he has. He's done that. As you look at your day in and day out existence, what conclusion do you come to? The writer says, what, do, what conclusion do you have to come to? And it's something like, life is short, <laughs> and then you die. And I think we need to dig into this, right? And we need to look at three things tonight. And then as we look at these three things, and after we look at these three things, here's the question that we have to ask. Is there any hope? (laughs) And so let's look at what those three things are first. 
life, and this is what the writer says, life is wearyingly repetitive. Life is wearyingly repetitive. It is repetitive, Solomon says, and, and, and not, in, not in a good way. Look at verses 5 through 8. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around the wind goes and on its circuits uh, the wind returns. And, and at first we think that Solomon's kind of just describing how everything works. And it's sort of normal. But look at how he sort of couches all this in in verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. It's so bad, he's saying. The repetition is so wearying. The weariness of the world is so bad, he's saying. Words can't really describe it. He's saying, look at it. It's all over creation. This tiring repetitiveness. And so the sun, according to Solomon here, it's not just that the sun is rising and setting, it's, it's chasing its own tail. I mean, we look at animals and we, we see them do that and we laugh at them and we say, that's so silly, how ri- ridiculous is that? And the wind, it's, not, it's, it's kind of just moving in a sort of endless circle. You think it's going somewhere, he says, but it's just around and around in the north and then the south and then the north again and then the south again and then the north again. He's saying, look at all this this repetition, everything that's happening. Generations go and generations come. More weary repetition. So let's be honest, we we all feel this. There's a sense in which this hits us. For all the work we do, for all the blood, sweat, and tears, so to speak, life is short and then you die. (laughs) And nothing really seems to change from under the sun, the day-to-day grind. This is sort of the reality. Some have said life is like a hamster wheel. (laughs) And we get caught in the circular, repetitive patterns of everyday life, and it's a grind. And, and let's be honest, you do laundry. Does the laundry ever end? <laughs> There's always still more, more laundry to do. It always piles up. You do the dishes in the morning. What do you have in the evening? Especially if you have a lot of kids. More dishes. You mow the grass, and guess what? It grows, and you mow the grass again. All of our weeks relatively look the same, and when they're not, we look forward to that lack of sameness. You wake up in the morning, you get ready for work or school, you sip your coffee, your tea, you go to work, take a break somewhere in the middle, you eat your lunch occasionally, we get really crazy and we take the day off. 
And then we go home and we eat some dinner and we watch a movie or read a book and we go to bed and we wake up the next morning and what? We do it all over again. Just like the sun chasing its own tail. Just like the wind going to the north and the south and the north and the south and the north and the south. Solomon is wanting to point out the circular weariness that is imprinted even in nature itself from a certain perspective. All things full of weariness, we can't even utter it, or sometimes we just utter a groan. What's this point? And if this makes you uncomfortable, it should. Sometimes we feel this way. I don't think Solomon is just saying, this is how you feel if, if you're a non-Christian. Sometimes Christians struggle with seeing things. Sometimes, and often this is our experience of our lives. And Solomon's point is, ultimately, none of it is satisfying. He does have a sort of life is short, and then you die mentality. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, this is kind of dark. I don't like this. This isn't why I go to church. (laughs) The Bible, if it is anything, is is realistic about the weariness of this life. How hard it can be. And remember, I don't think that Solomon is saying this is just the experience of people who aren't Christians. This is what life often in a fallen world is like. This is how we can often feel. Now, if you're feeling like this is getting kind of depressing, stick with me. It gets worse. (laughs) Because notice what Solomon moves on to secondly. He addresses people who say, no, you're wrong. It's, It's not all vanity. It's not all meaningless. It's not all like a vapor. He says, oh yeah? Look at verse 9. Well, he didn't say look at verse 9, but... What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Everything, he says, is ridiculously temporary, and nothing, really nothing that we do or see, is really all that new or novel or even very meaningful. And then he starts asking these Rhetorical questions. He's saying this. He's saying people like to pretend, right, that they aren't in a rut by chasing after new things. If I can just have this, if I can just accomplish this, if I can just buy this, 
I'm going to remake myself. But he says it's really not new. Not really and, and foundationally. One writer wrote this, pretend that if we, we, let's pretend that if we get the promotion or see our church grow or bring up good children, we feel significant and leave a lasting legacy. Let's pretend if we change jobs or emigrate to the sun, we won't experience the humdrum tedium and ordinariness of life. Continuing to quote, let's pretend that if we move to a new house, we'll be happier and we'll never want to move again. Let's pretend that if we end one relationship and start another, we won't ever feel trapped. Let's pretend if we're married or weren't married, we'd be content. Let's pretend that if we had more money, we'd be more satisfied. That if we get through this week's pile of wash and dirty diapers and shopping lists and school runs and busy evenings, next week we'll be quieter. Let's pretend that time will always be on our side to do the things we want to do and become the people we want to be. Let's pretend we can break the cycle of repetition and finally arrive in a world free from weariness. See, chasing after the new, which is what Solomon is talking about here, thinking that is somehow new, and our soul is going to be satisfied in that new, Solomon says it's not going to happen. Because all those new things, all they do often is take our mind off of the predictable patterns of our lives. And so we're always saying things like, man, if I can have, I'll be settled in my soul. If I can get, everything will be well. If I can experience, fill in the blank, life will finally have meaning. If I can get the car, get the house, get the family, get the job, get the fill in the blank. Fill in your favorite thing that you believe and I believe will make everything better. And Solomon says it's, it's not going to happen. He says it's just a distraction. We do this, right? We get a new gadget, maybe a new phone or a new... Again, fill in your favorite blank. And it brings this sort of excitement to our lives. There's a newness there. And the writer here says, no, don't get mad at me. <laughs> he says, give me a break. He says, it's not going to be shiny for very long. It's not going to be new for very long. It's not maybe even going to work for very long. We live in the most affluent country in the world. And one of the greatest distractions to true depth of life and asking the hard and the difficult questions of life, a true wrestling with the fact that life is short and we will all die, is our stuff. 
our gadgets. Big or small. New things that that keep us distracted and and keep us from thinking about the fact that, that life is like a vapor. And we're not going to be shiny for long. Now again, there's a, I guess the, the alpha type person that says, I will defy all the odds, right? I will change the universe. I will change the face of the world. I will do it. And I will do such a great job. Maybe it comes in this way. I will do such a great job with my family that the memory of me will live on for generations and generations and, and generations and generations. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. What is he saying? Not to be a broken record. No, life is short. And, and, and then, then you die and it gets worse and nobody's going to remember you after a while. A few of us, and, and we we're able to do this more now, but few of us know very much about our families beyond our great-grandparents. And sometimes not even our great-grandparents. Things, fame, recognition. Solomon says it's, it's like a vapor. Try to grab it. It's not going to work. And then quickly, three. Solomon has said that life is uh, wearyingly repetitive. He has said that accomplishments are ridiculously temporary. And then he says that our experience proves the, 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 the meaninglessness of life under the sun. 12 to 13. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom by all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man. Now, now this is the man who was perhaps the wisest man to ever live. A man who had everything. Maybe the richest man to ever live. His accumulated wealth was incredible. He will later on in this book, in just a couple of chapters, list all his accomplishments. He planted forests. He had thousands of wives which were a sign of your power at that point in time. He built houses for all of them. He spent years building his own house and it was one of the grandest things ever. And he was wise. Not sinless. (laughs) But when he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is under heaven, 
We're not talking about some hack. Right? Some, some armchair philosopher. And he uses all the resources that he has at his disposal as king and the wisdom that God had given him. And he set out to discover everything that is happening under heaven. And, and so he's going to use all his faculties, his mind, his taste, his touch, his smell, his sight, his hearing. He's going to use his wealth and his power and his wisdom. And he's going to search for meaning in all the things that people try to find meaning in in the world. Pleasure. And he's going to say, tried it all. Money, power, religion. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And he did it bigger and better than all of us. And he's going to spend the rest of the book telling us how he pursued all of these things as a sort of life test to see what life under the sun is all about. And when all is said and done, he says, yep, meaningless. And if you were to read through the book, and you probably all have, he denies himself nothing. Sixteen to eighteen, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who is in increases knowledge increases sorrow. Look at his resume. He's been given wisdom, and he has... Massive experience. I mean, he's, he's flexing a little bit, as they say, isn't he? He's essentially saying, I'm wiser than you. <laughs> I'm smarter than you. I'm more powerful than you. I'm richer than you. <laughs> In case you want to challenge my resume. And he applies his heart to know wisdom, but not just that, madness and folly. He's saying, I lived, he will go on to say, I lived the good, prudent life. And then I lived the life of the rich and famous. Put it in, in political terms, I was a conservative and a liberal. I lived the party life, the life where if I saw it and wanted it, I took it and I did it. I tried it, I investigated it, and I investigated it thoroughly. Go read the rest. He says it exactly like that. And look at what he says. He says, it's all a striving after the wind. 
Now you might be saying, well, how is chasing after wisdom meaningless? If we had more time, we'd talk about that. (laughs) Because the Bible doesn't always mean biblical wisdom when it talks about wisdom. There's under-the-sun wisdom, too. But, but here's what he's getting at. The more I lived, the, the, more, the clearer it has become to me. It's all a vapor. It's all a mist. Life is short and then you die. Now you might be saying at this time, I think we really need to have a talk after church. Because this sounds like that you're buying what Solomon is selling. And so you might be... By the way, some of you might actually be encouraged by this. I should say that sometimes kids will use Ecclesiastes to say, I don't need to do the dishes. It's meaningless. I mean, they'll just be there tomorrow. (laughs) But they shouldn't do that. Are we buying what Solomon is selling? Are we picking up what he's laying down? The answer, yes and no. Yes, because life is short. And yes, because all of us will die. And Ecclesiastes is saying that we need to live our lives in light of our death. no matter how young you are. That we live our lives now in light of our death then. Or that we live our lives backwards. A lot of times we read Ecclesiastes and say, well, this is what life is like if you live it without God. But Solomon doesn't even even talk that way. In fact, he recognizes God all over the place in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's not just saying in some, some simplistic way, this is, this is what life is like from a secular perspective. He's saying this is what life is like in a fallen world. We resonate too much with Solomon and too much with what he says to think otherwise. It is often the way the what the it is often the way the world really is, under the sun, here and now. He says, This side of eternity is a breath. This side of eternity is hard. This side of eternity, we seek and we seek for things that we think will make us happy and fulfilled and somebody. And we realize they all fall short. And Ecclesiastes is telling us, and and again, if we had more time, we could go through and see that only preparing ourselves to die will teach us how we really should live now. Only preparing to die will teach us how to live life under the sun. 
So we live life in light of death. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's what the rest of the book is about. So in one sense, yes, we are buying what Solomon is saying and picking up what he's laying down. But the answer is also no. We are not completely buying what Solomon is saying as if, hey, this is a prescription about how you should think about everything all the time. This is your experience. This is what you struggle with. Sometimes this is how life is. Because when we come to the same conclusion that Solomon does, here in chapter 1, we are beginning to develop actually another perspective. One writer says another sense. Another sense which says, okay, the hamster wheel, I'm kind of on it. I see what Solomon is saying. The treadmill seems endless and weary repetition. I, I, I get it. But this must not be all that there is. And even my death is not and can't be all that there is. And it's then, if we start to think uh, that way, particularly from a perspective of faith, but this is what often drives people to faith, we are moving from under the sun in our thinking to beyond the sun in our thinking, aren't we? And, and when we begin to think this way, and we, by the way, can never read the book of Ecclesiastes separate from our understanding of the New Testament and the coming of Jesus And when we are taken beyond the sun, there we meet the one who came from beyond the sun. To be under the sun, to be with us and dwell among us, tabernacle among us, as John says in John 1. One who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. To he came, Jesus came, to this sinful, fallen, weary, hamster wheel world to be with us and reconcile us. To God. So faith helps us see what is beyond the sun, if we can use that way to think about it. Faith gives us the ability to see what's beyond the sun as, as this sinful, fallen world and us with it. 
is understood in light of the death, the resurrection, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Jesus can say things like, I'm here to give you life more abundantly, right? He's not just saying eternal life, though he's certainly saying that, but understanding an understanding of this life that's fuller. <laughs> but beyond that, a, a life where our hope and our identity isn't built on the things that we chase after. The, the meaning of why we're here isn't made by the accumulation of power or reputation or material things. Things that can, by the way, be taken away from us in a moment's notice. Material things, they break, they wear out. Friendships, we lose them. Relationships can be lost, even naturally through the passing of time or in devastating, hurtful ways. The influence we have can be taken away. The job that we have can be gone. And Ecclesiastes is meant to point our hope or point us to the hope that is beyond all of those things and that is who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that our life there and our hope there and identity there isn't built on things that fade and break and wear out, that die and go into the ground, but God's love for us alone in Jesus, which nothing under the sun can take away. There are so many things in this life under the sun that can be taken away so quickly. And Solomon is reminding us in so many ways, don't, don't put your hope there. Don't go there. And remember, y'all, sorry, from the south, it slips out. He has tried it all. He has had all the good stuff. He knows what it's like to have material possessions, pleasures beyond measure, power, reputation. And he says our hope can't be in any of those things but in Christ alone. And not everything he mentions in the book of Ecclesiastes is bad. Many of them are good things that we allow our hearts to make God things. And we remind us, we remind ourselves that, that our hope can't be any, in any of those things when we sing things like, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and what does, he, what does the hymn say? I dare not trust the what? The sweetest frame. The best thing. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground 
is sinking sand. So our hearts, as we read Ecclesiastes in light of the coming of the one who has come from beyond the sun, our hearts need to be taken with Jesus. who came from beyond the sun to show us how we should live under the sun. And that's what you could, if we had time, spend the next 12, 14, 16 weeks talking about from the book of Leviticus. We will be driven there again and again and again to Jesus and his love for us. Let's pray. Uh, together. Lord, uh, teach us that truth. Lord, help us not to trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And we ask this in his name.